0: Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in.
1: Welcome back. My name is Hannah Miller, and I'm here with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. And uh, this week, we are going to be talking about building hedges. And dad is going to give us a definition, kind of talk about what he means by that phrase, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, building different kinds of hedges and um, kind of give some examples of that for different aspects of life and, uh, and then kind of pull it all together with one main uh, point that we all need to take to heart regarding building hedges. So, Dad? All
2: right. Thank you, Miss mm-hmm. Hannah. First of all, we all know that God builds hedges from the book of Job Remember, Satan accused God of building a hedge around Job, that righteous man. God did not deny that accusation at all. And in fact, God removed the hedge of protection from around Job and allowed Satan to touch his physical property and his physical life and his family. Also, in the book of Psalm, the psalmist complained and accused God of removing the hedge of protection from around the nation, and cried out and complained that the the nations around them were violating the wall, the hedge that was around the nation, and plucking fruit from their vine. Well, also in Ezekiel, the prophet, he talked about how men can build up and repair hedges. And the prophet says that God looked for a man among them who would build up the hedge. But unfortunately, he did not find a man among them. So it's obvious that a righteous man can be a hedge of protection in a nation, in a family, and in a business. So what exactly is a hedge of protection? And what kind of hedges are you, the listener, building in your personal life? to protect yourself and your family and your testimony and your business. Now, when I'm talking about a hedge, I'm talking about a voluntary boundary that you and I place in our lives that will help us to keep our promises to God and to our family and ultimately to ourselves as well. Let me give a, a opening illustration here. I read a full-page spread in our local newspaper several years back that described the founder of Habitat for Humanity. He was not only the founder, but the president for 25 years of Habitat for Humanity. And the newspaper was describing how the board of directors had summarily fired the founder and president of Habitat for Humanity. And as you read through the article, it turned out that this man had made an unwanted, unsolicited solicited sexual advance on a younger female employee of the organization. It turns out this was not the first time that it had happened. It had happened three or four times previously with other female employees, and the board of directors decided that he was a liability for the organization, and they fired him. Now, the Bible tells us that we should avoid even the appearance of evil. I had a pastor who told me one time, he said, Robert, if you take care of the way things look, you take care of the way things are. And if I could make a few suggestions to all of us as Christian people, we need to build a few hedges of protection in our lives. And if you remember our our podcast from last week, I said that one of the things that I do in my personal life is that I never allow myself to be alone with a woman that's not my wife in an automobile, or in my business, or in a house, or in the church building, because it just doesn't look right. And if you take care of the way things look, you take care of the way things are. Avoid even the appearance of evil. It doesn't look right for a man or a woman to be alone in those kind of situations with somebody that's not their spouse. It provides the opportunity for the tempter to do his evil work and manipulate our lower natures. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus tells us, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. These kinds of situations would not be dangerous for you and me if we did not possess evil desires. But the truth of the matter is, is that you do, and I do, and we both know it. That same pastor said to me, good intentions will never overcome a bad location. If you remember, Miss Hannah, that was one of the maxims, the family maxims that was on the ironing board in our family Mm -hmm. household. Good intentions will never overcome a bad location. Well, another story that I will share with you is that I had a patient some years back who was a associate pastor in a local church, and he was counseling with a much younger female member of the church. And over time, Unfortunately, he became emotionally attached and physically attracted to this much younger female parishioner. He began to arrange opportunities for him to counsel with this younger lady when no one else was in the church building, a setup for disaster. And sure enough, what started out as an emotional attachment became a physical attraction and then led to sexual involvement between him and this much younger woman. Well, it eventually was found out, and he lost his position at the church. He lost his testimony. She lost her testimony, and it caused a big brouhaha in the church, and it was very damaging to his marriage of 30 years. He came to see me in my office. He was actually suicidal when he came to see me because of all the damage that he had caused in his marriage, in this younger woman's life, in the life of his church. And it all started with him being very foolish about counseling a younger woman alone in his church. And you see, my suggestion to us is that we should never violate that hedge of protection. We should never be alone in the church building, or our business, or our home, Or in a vehicle with someone who is not our spouse. I don't allow myself to ride in a car with a woman that's not my my wife, and I don't allow my teenage and college age children to ride in a vehicle with a person of the opposite sex unchaperoned. I don't eat in a restaurant with a woman of the opposite sex unchaperoned, nor do I allow my children to do so. What's good for the goose is also good for the goslings. And as you can imagine, that presents all manner of difficult social situations for my children and for myself. But our Christian testimony is more important than personal convenience. That particular hedge of protection would have saved the founder of Habitat for Humanity, his job, his reputation, and his testimony. He would do the same for you and me build a hedge of protection. That's my challenge to all of us. Now, I hear people out there saying, oh, Dr. Jackson, you're so 18th century. Well, exactly. 18th century folks didn't have 40% pregnancy at the altar and 30% of pregnancies ending in abortion. If we don't live by a higher standard than the world around us, then we will never achieve a different result than the world around us. The Bible tells us as Christian folks to come out from among them and be ye separate. That word also means be ye different. If we don't live differently, we won't achieve a different result.
1: You know, growing up, one of the things that I know a lot of parents are out there thinking about, you know, their children and how their children would be on the one hand ostracized and then on the other hand, their lives would be very difficult because their peers don't live by the same standard. And, you know, when I was growing up, the thing that made a big difference for me was that there were there was a closer network of friends who were like minded and had like minded parents who understood um, what. Why we had the rules we had, and majority of them also agreed and uh, and and had, the same kind of standards or rules to some degree as we did as well and it was also that you guys as my mom and dad spoke to their parents and were really you know friends with their parents and could communicate to them why we have why we did what we did and and that kind of thing in a way that you know me as a kid I couldn't always or a teenager or high schooler I couldn't always communicate uh, or tell you know there's just a rapport that you have with fellow parents and so I would encourage our listeners to as a parent if if that's something you want to establish and surround your child or try to with like-minded friends and peers doesn't have to be everybody in their friend group certainly not but just having at least a couple that are like-minded is encouraging and helps them to reinforce those hedges that really are necessary and they won't feel like they're so much as a man on an island uh, in situations like that
2: well and I tell you there was another situation in my life many years ago where a pastor that I knew made an inappropriate sexual advance on a parishioner in his church and he ended up being fired from that church and I was talking to an associate pastor friend of mine and we were discussing what had happened and after our discussion he looks at me and he said you know Robert that whole scenario just scares me to death and I looked at him and had a question in my eyes and he says because it could have happened to me And, you know, I looked at him and I said, yes, sir, I know exactly what you mean. And shortly after that, I was in a conference with a a well-known conference speaker, Christian conference speaker, and he was talking to 800 Christian men. And he was talking about what it takes for us as Christian men to maintain our moral purity. And he had every man in there turn and look at the man on their left and say to them, you're just one step away from stupid. (laughs) And then he had them turn and looked at the men on their right and say, you're just one step away from stupid. And you know, there was a lot of nervous laughter in that auditorium that day because all those men knew that he was speaking the truth and they knew that he was talking about being one step away from sin, not just stupid, but sin. And then he began to talk about David, who was the man after God's own heart and who fell into sin with Bathsheba. And we all knew that if that could happen to King David, the psalm writer of Israel, the man after God's own heart, that it could also happen to us. And I knew that my pastor friend was so right when he said, it scares me to death, it could have happened to me.
1: One of the things that I talk to people in the counseling room is about the soft choices. And I said, you know, nobody wakes up one day and just says, you know what? I'm going to have an affair today. Uh, right. wh- you know, or, or nobody just uh, wakes up and, and says, I'm going to run away from home today. I mean, there's, it's you don't do that. What happens is you're way over here to the left, and one day you, you see somebody that catches your eye. Yeah. And, and then the next time you see them, you say, you know what? I'm going to have a conversation with them. Yeah. And then the next time you see him you're like, "You know what? I'm I'm going to flirt a little with him." And then the next time you see him, you're like, I'm going to try to get him alone and, you know, and have a conversation with him. I really like this person. And then all of a sudden you've made soft choice after soft choice and not anyone in and of itself seems like it's like, well, I'm not committing adultery. We're just talking or, hey, I just think that he or she is attractive or just all of these things. But you and I both know as believers, those things prick our conscience. Holy Spirit in us puts his finger on it and we know it doesn't feel quite right. But in our minds, we say, well, I'm not committing adultery. Well, I'm not sleeping with them. And that's how we rationalize making soft choice after soft choice. And that's where it's your and my responsibility to guard against the soft choices because those are what lead to one day finding yourself somewhere where you never intended to be. That's
2: exactly right. We have to build those hedges. Mm -hmm. Now, another one I suggest is that businessmen and pastors should never make visits for the church or for their business Alone because they go into people's homes, and you should never be visiting in people's homes, especially a man visiting in a home where there may be female mm-hmm. p- people, persons that they are visiting, without the homeowner, uh, male homeowner, being present. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous situation. I always take a friend, I always take a business partner, an employee, or preferably your spouse. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's to protect men from false accusation, too. You and I are both know plenty of stories, too, where there's false accusations from a man or a woman falsely accusing someone of something that never happened. And even if it goes all the way through the court system and it's proven to be false, his, his or her car- character gone. and reputation is besmirched forever.
2: That's right. Exactly. When I was a college boy, I used to make church home visits with my pastor. And whenever he would knock on the screen door... He would put his foot firmly on the bottom of the door and his hand firmly against the top of the door. And he would not allow whoever came to the door to open the door until he ascertained if the man of the house was home. Mm -hmm. And I always asked him about it. And he said, I don't want anybody on this street to think that the pastor at the Baptist church went into that house if they happen to know that the husband is away at work or on a hunting trip or shopping or anything like that. And he would always make his visits through the screen door or the storm door. uh, And he never, ever went into the house because he was worried and concerned about his testimony and the testimony of that church. And then he said to me one day, he said, I have pastor friends who say to me that they can make home visits unchaperoned without being tempted. And then he looked at me and he said, it makes me wonder what else they would lie about. (laughs) And I've never forgotten him saying that. Well, the next hedge that I would recommend is that we guard our eye gates and, guard the, and, and to guard the eye gates of our children. Now listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. It says, the lamp, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So it's incumbent upon us, especially the men of the household, the man of the house, to be the defender and protector of our families. It's our responsibility to defend our children from the moral corruption that is in the world. Now, if you remember, Job made a covenant with his eye that he would not look lustfully upon another woman. And then Jesus said, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out. So it's obvious that he took seriously the challenge to preserve inner purity by guarding what the eyes see. There's no way to be morally pure if we allow our eyes to view corruption on television or the movies or the internet. More than that, Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the biblical standard. Now, understand that that is very different from the cultural standard, but we are a people of the book. We are a people who adhere to a biblical standard. Several years ago, in this very town where I live, two youth pastors Of very prominent churches were both dismissed from their responsibilities for the very same reason using church computers for viewing internet pornography. Now, how stupid can you become? Yet, we all understand that sin makes us blind and stupid. Well, none of us are immune to that kind of addiction. There's no immunization against pornography. My challenge to us is to build a hedge in our lives against internet pornography. It is the new cocaine of addictions. It is insidious. It is everywhere. And it doesn't just pop up. It actually pursues young men and young boys. My father used to say to me when I was a young man in regards to alcohol, don't drink the first drop and you won't get drunk. I say in regards to Internet pornography, don't take the first look and you won't get hooked. King David did not guard his eyes or his heart in regard to Bathsheba, and we all know where that got him. Barna tells us that 40% of Christian men in his surveys admit to problems or even addiction to Internet pornography. Now, I'm not here to get down on Christian men. And so I want to offer them this advice. The blood of Jesus can make the foulest clean. And those of you who are listening to me who have an issue with pornography, just understand that Jesus can set you free. And I would refer you to an internet website entitled setcaptivesfree.com. And I will let you know that I had a patient one time who was addicted to child pornography. And he was so miserable He was so addicted, and the federal authorities came into his home one day and arrested him, and his wife told me later that when the federal authorities came into their home, the thing that he said to them was, Thank you, officers. Thank you for coming. I was in such darkness, and I was in such bondage. I'm so glad you're here. Mm. It's it's an amazing statement. Mm. Always put guards on the Internet at your workplace and in your home One that I recommend is called Covenant Eyes. Require your children, especially teenage and college boys, to use the Internet in the family room and not in the privacy of their own bedroom. I would encourage you to collect the computers and cell phones on teenage boys at night. Don't allow them to use those devices in the privacy of their home at nighttime.
1: Well, I mean, that goes for girls, too. There's a rising number of young females that are addicted to pornography. But just on the uh, in, in, on the broader aspect of hedges, um, there's a lot of conversations and there's a lot of texting that happens after the rest of the house goes to bed oh, yeah. um, with boyfriends and girlfriends. And there's a lot of Internet surfing that happens to places. I mean, and, and just the fact that it's one of the number one reasons kids don't get enough sleep these days, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not talking about any kind of sexual sin or relationship sins that you might be engaged in it's just something that keeps our kids awake and they're not getting the rest that they need so having electronic devices in the bedroom is just never a good idea
2: well husbands and wives should use facebook and chat rooms in the presence of their spouse people develop dangerous emotional connections with old friends and sometimes new friends on the internet beware always inquire about who your spouse and children are social networking with. Be a nosy parent, be a nosy spouse. The internet is a dangerous playground. I had a, a distant relative whose daughter was allowed to play on a computer in the privacy of her bedroom for endless hours. She ultimately connected with a man from England who mm-hmm. flew to the United States, bought her a airline ticket. She flew from South Carolina to California and married this strange man and he used her to get American citizenship, and then two years later divorced her. Mm-hmm. She returned home to South Carolina in humiliation and embarrassment. And all of this happened because her parents allowed her unrestricted use to the access to the internet in the privacy of her bedroom. I strongly encourage patients. Uh, patients, my, my listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and your patients. <laughs> and patients. patients. <laughs> to, to build a hedge of protection around their children and do not allow them to use the internet without supervision. If at all possible, I recommend that husbands and wives share the same email address. This prevents romantic connections to old paramours. I have a patient whose wife reconnected with an old high school boyfriend and over time She began to become emotionally connected. She began to eat meals with him unknown to her husband. And when he found out, it took a year and a half of intense counseling before she was able to break off the emotional connection to the old boyfriend and restore their marriage. And it all started with privately connecting on the Internet with this old boyfriend. And then the last thing I would suggest is this, is that we men probably women as well, need to have accountability partners. The Bible tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Worldwide Challenge is a Christian magazine that interviewed 200 top Christian executives, evangelists, pastors, who were all at the top of their organizations, and yet all of them fell from grace due to either sexual indiscretion or financial impropriety. When they re- interviewed all of these 200 men, the common denominator was that none of them had any kind of accountability in their lives. No one was asking them the hard questions. And so I would challenge all of my Christian friends to find somebody in your life who will meet with you on a regular basis and ask you the hard questions. Accountability is nothing more than having somebody in your life who helps you keep your promises to your family, to yourself, to your children, and to God. Who is asking you hard questions about your quiet time, about your finances, about your relationship with your spouse? Are you keeping your promises to your wife and your children? Are you looking at things on the television or the internet that you shouldn't be looking at? Are you spending money that you don't have? You get the idea. Mm -hmm. Those are accountability questions, and every Christian man should have an accountability partner who holds their toes to the fire and make sure that they walk in integrity, walk in righteousness. Pray that God would build hedges around your family and businesses like he did around Job. Hedges that would only come down if God himself removed them. Pray that you would be wise enough to build appropriate hedges around yourself and your family. And pay careful attention to maintaining those hedges in your life. Ezekiel said, I looked for a man among them that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge for the land that I might not destroy it, but I found none. My listeners, you be that person. You stand in the gap and build up the hedge for your own spiritual life, for your family, for your business, for your church, and when God comes looking, I challenge you to be found faithful. Standing in the gap Having built up your hedges, you be that person.
1: One of the things, my little sister just got married, and one of the things that I talked to her about when I did our little roast and toast kind of thing was about the perfectly ordinary days and how... Preparing for the crisis moments in marriage and in life is by right choices in the perfectly ordinary days. And I think a lot of this is summed up in that statement of of making avoiding soft choices. And in the perfectly ordinary moments, making sure that we have those hedges of protections around ourselves that oftentimes we bump up against and they're just so inconvenient. Oh, yeah. But they protect us in the long run from... Eking into situations that are dangerous. I think this message is such a pertinent one, especially regarding the crisis that we're in with pornography, with sexual immorality in our time. Uh, It's just, this was such an important message for all of us to take to heart about building hedges because it's not, you don't hear enough believers praying for that. And it's something that God did do for Job and something we can ask for. And, uh, and he can do that for us and for our families. So what a great challenge for all of us to take away today. Be praying up hedges of protection around yourself and your family.
0: Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via Ministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for
1: More Than Medicine.